Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Committees, nothing personal, word of the day, Monday, December 6th, 2021 is committees. We're going to get to the rest of the weekend sports news, but we got to start with the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame is unreal. It's a place where you go in Cooperstown and you go and look at the history of the game. And in theory, it gives you the entire history of the game although there are clearly parts of it missing, whether it's steroids or gambling. But there are pictures of every, examples of every World Series ring. There's the plaque room, which has the plaque of every player. And when you look at the plaques in the plaque room, you don't know how they got in, what ballot they got in. All that talk comes now where you get 10 years to be on a ballot. And we did a whole show about A-Rod and Poppy, they're going to be on the ballot. But then after 10 years, you're off the ballot. Like Kurt Schilling at the end of this year, he'll be done with the ballot. And Major League Baseball got together. I want to tell you that Major League Baseball as an organization, as an industry, is very much in charge of the Hall of Fame. They fight with people in the Hall of Fame. Jane Forbes Clark runs the Hall of Fame. There's a new, uh, there, there's a new person who came from... Arizona. His name is Josh. He's now the president of the Hall of Fame. He used to be Jeff Idelson. And there's always a pushback between the Hall of Fame and MLB because MLB supports it. Do you remember there used to be a actual baseball game that was played in Cooperstown that was called the Hall of Fame game? That got canceled because players didn't want to schlep to Cooperstown because it's in the middle of a kvelt. You have to fly to the middle of nowhere, take a left turn and drive for a couple hours. There's one good hotel called the Otisaga, and you can't have both teams staying in the same hotel. So it's always a thing, so MLB just stopped it. As part of MLB's budget paid for by the owners, MLB financially supports the Hall of Fame. As part of that, MLB gets certain board members, a number of board members like the whole thing, that they get to put onto the board of the Hall of Fame. So pretty much the commissioner and the owners run it. So whatever complaint you have about who's in, who's out, when they get in, when they're not in, why they get in, how they get in, it's all Major League Baseball. Of course, the Hall of Fame always says, we're independent. They're not. So what happened is a bunch of owners got together and said, you know, when people don't get in after 10 ballots, sometimes we think they should have gotten in and we think that the baseball writers got it wrong. The way you get elected into the Hall of Fame is you have to get 75% of a group of baseball writers who are 10 years in good standing with the Baseball Writers Association of America and have them vote for you. 
the owners said, oh, that's, that's good. That's a lot of power to give to writers. We don't want to give them all that power, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to create a committee. The Veterans Committee was created to get players into the Hall of Fame who baseball wanted to get into the Hall of Fame, but were no longer eligible under the Hall of Fame rules to be on the ballot. But there were so many players that one day in a conference room at 270 Park Avenue, the decision was made, we're going to get rid of this thing called the Veterans Committee, and we're going to start a whole bunch of new committees. And I want to read them to you because there are a lot of them, so pay attention. The Early Baseball Committee, that is comprised of baseball executives, Hall of Fame baseball players, and a few others. Anybody who played baseball in any sort of league prior to 1950, that's called the Early Baseball Committee. They will have their own ballot and be separately considered every several years. Then there's the Golden Days Committee. The Golden Days are players you had to play between 1950 and 1969. The Golden Days, I guess it could be named after the golden era of television. Then you've got the Modern Baseball Committee. Any player who played between 1970 and 1987 are called Modern Baseball Players. And then there's a fourth committee called Today's Game. Anybody who played 1988 to the present. I stood up one day and I said, quick question, 1988, that's about right now 30 years ago. When I had this discussion, it was about 12 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever it was. You've had a chance to be on the ballot for 10 years. You don't make it, but we're going to find a way to get around all of that so we can control who gets into the Hall of Fame. So we're going to call today's game 88 to the present. So these are players who are current fans, know, have cheered for, who don't get in, but they can get in if they didn't get in the regular way. So therefore, why do we have the regular way? Why not just make everybody get in through a separate smaller committee? Why don't we take away the voting privileges of the Baseball Writers Association of America? To which the answer was given, but we need them to write about baseball. To which I said, true, except everybody writes about baseball now. And I've got friends who are in the BBWAA. I've got friends in the Hall of Fame. I've acquaintances who are writers and in the Hall of Fame. And I realize this point of view may be unpopular because it is extremely intoxicating to have the power to vote someone into the Hall of Fame. I get it. But as is happening across all sectors of our society these days, power has a way of being abused. Power has a way of being politicized. And power has a way of being misdirected. And I'm certainly not impugning every baseball writer, not at all. As a matter of fact, Coca, one of the biggest arguments I ever had with Dan Lebetard was when he gave away his Hall of Fame vote to a listener of his show. He then got suspended, and actually he's no longer a Hall of Fame voter. And he and I had a very difficult discussion about that because I thought that he was not just making fun of the process, but that he was 
trying to hurt the credibility of those who benefit from the process, those who are Hall of Famers, trying to make light of the responsibility. His response was, I was trying to bring to light the absurdity of how voting takes place and how it's decided this player with steroids can get in, this player with steroids can't get in, etc. And I said, but you are taking your power and your voice and your vote and you are mocking. Instead of mocking a process, change the process. If you have power within the organization, then be the change that you want to see. And he was talking about good radio and good content and how interesting it is, the attention that it got that he did. And it got me thinking about Hall of Fame votes and all the debating and all of the program hours that we get from it, because we do get a lot, as you know, not just on Nothing Personal, but MLB Network and Sports Center and CBS. It's a it's another day on the calendar. And by having these committees, you get another four days on the calendar. Every year, you get the chance for players to get in. But then something happens like happened yesterday. Buck O'Neill was elected to the Hall of Fame. Buck O'Neill. Buck O'Neill is one of the most influential Negro League players of all time. Out of all of the collection of autograph memorabilia I have, in my top five special balls is a Buck O'Neill ball that he signed for me. He passed away, I don't remember when. I'm going to say 2005, somewhere in there. Not early in my career, but toward the beginning of my career. And I had a chance to meet him in uh, Coca's Telling Me 2006. That is, come on, that's a rounding error. Isn't that amazing how things become a rounding error? Hey, uh, kids, when was the Vietnam War? Oh, that was in the 50s, right? And you're like, oh, yeah, it was close. It's only, you're only 20 years off. In 200 years, when you're 20 years off, it's nothing. That's like saying now in something happened in 1821, and if it happened in 1811 or 1840, you're damn close, right? Hey, when did that happen? Oh yeah, that was 1840. No, it was 1811. Oh, I got it. Oh yes, you did. I was one year off, Coca. GMAB, right? So Buck O'Neill pa- passed away. I, I'd seen him in Kansas City. There was the, I, I was able to tour the Negro Leagues Museum when the team was in Kansas City one year. And after all of these years, and he's 15 years dead, he's a Hall of Famer. The problem with putting people into Hall of Fame posthumously, what exactly changed in their career, and this has been my argument from the beginning, these committees get together. There's only 16 members on the committee. You need 75%, just like you need in the big committee and the regular committee of all the writers. So you need 11 votes. And the committee changes from time to time. It's appointed by MLB, no matter what you're told. And if they wanted Buck O'Neill in the Hall of Fame, he could have made the Hall of Fame a long time ago. It was a very big deal when Bud Sela got into the Hall of Fame. And believe me, the year he got into the Hall of Fame, how he got into the Hall of Fame, it was all very scheduled. 
Bud Selig deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Every commissioner deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. By definition, if you are commissioner, you deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. There's only been nine of them. Rob's the ninth. But I can't understand how people add a vote, subtract a vote, change a vote. All of a sudden, Gil Hodges is a Hall of Famer today, but not yesterday. Jimmy Cott, you watched him play for 25 years. You may not have. He's a Hall of Famer today. He's alive. Half the people who got in yesterday are dead, maybe more than half. I just wonder, ask yourself, what changed? So, I spent the night last night thinking about the show, thinking about what changes and how it changes, and I brought it back to what I do. I carry around my list of top 100 movies. I see a new movie. I evaluate whether it belongs in the top 100 I do it about annually, update the list, and I review the list, and once in a while I'll watch a movie that's on the list again that I haven't seen in a while, and I'll say, did it age well? Is it still one of the top 100 movies I've ever seen? I compare it to new movies I've seen. I compare it to how I'm interacting with the movie today versus how I related to the movie yesterday or when I first saw it. And I had the epiphany. There are movies in my top 100 that are there because of how I related to them at the time I saw them. What they meant to me at that moment and then going forward. Just because they don't mean the same to me today does not mean they shouldn't be on the top 100. Because what I am at two score plus 13 is every day that I've lived beforehand. So you can't have today without a compilation of yesterdays. Everything you are today, everything you think about, every point of view, it's like your brain is a computer. Your brain gets programmed like a computer gets programmed. Think of it like a hard drive. And it knows how to act. It knows how to think because of what it's been taught and how it's been taught to react in certain circumstances. It's the entire multi-billion dollar industry of nostalgia to remind you of what you used to think at a certain time, at a certain place. It's the reason why smell is such an important sense to have and why losing your smell is so bad because if you think about it, what smell does is it brings you back to a moment or a time or a place, like an automatic flood of memories done through aromas. So I'm not as willing to take movies out of my top 100 even though they would not go in the top 100 if I made the list from scratch today. But when you're doing a Hall of Fame vote, should you do it that way? Or do you do it completely as of the first time someone is eligible to be in the Hall of Fame? Either they get the votes or they don't because you are reflecting on a career and that career is frozen in time, like a, like a brain that doesn't get to evolve, like a hard drive that is completely imprinted upon your brain and cannot be adjusted. And maybe it's true that you can't adjust your brain. Maybe it's true that you just have to learn to deal with certain things, live with certain things, or learn to change your reaction to those things. Boom. Learn how to change your reaction to a set of existing principles or situations that exist and that will always exist. 
your brain will always react to a certain smell or a certain event or a certain trigger. It will always react the same the, because it was programmed. The only thing you can change is your reaction to the absolute certainty of the brain's initial reaction. What do you do with that? That you can change. And that's how baseball looks at the Hall of Fame. They look at the situation the league is in today. They look at the situation of where we are with trying to increase black participation in baseball. They look at the situation, how to wrong rights, how to figure out the induction into the Hall of Fame going forward, next year's induction, how it will look. And all of a sudden, the committee's put together, and boom, Buck O'Neill's a Hall of Famer. Horse hockey. He was a Hall of Famer the first time he was on a ballot. But I have to be consistent. I'm a consequentialist. Today, he's a Hall of Famer. Does him no good because he's dead. And I'm sorry, Buck. But I know one thing. When I sat with you, you were a Hall of Famer in my mind, and I said the same to you. Congratulations, Buck O'Neill. And MLB and all your committees. Yeah. All right. News of the weekend. Were you following? Were you, were you to follow Mike Ryan? He is uh, the producer of the Dan Lebatard show with Stu Gatz. He is someone who I do a show with once a week on Metal Arc Media's Dan Lebatard platform. And he is a lover of the Miami Hurricanes. And if you listen to last week's local hour, he basically did the first 30 minutes of the local hour that I'm on and talked all about the Hurricanes. Hurricanes have been big news because they need a new coach. They're going to find out today. Maybe by the time you listen to this, he will be the new coach already. His name is Mario Cristobal. He used to play for the Hurricanes. I think he won a national championship or two with them when Dennis Erickson was coaching back when the Hurricanes were worth talking about. But what interests me about this story is that two parts of it. One, it's not a secret that Mario Cristobal has a contract to coach the Miami Hurricanes, and it's not a secret that Manny Diaz, the son of the former mayor Manny Diaz, the current coach of the Hurricanes, Manny Diaz, people who think Manny Diaz is my doppelganger, or I am his, He's out there recruiting for next year, and he knows that he is a coach who is unlikely to be coaching. And people are all upset, saying, how could you do that? People think it's disrespectful what the Hurricanes have done. And I laughed because we were always interviewing managers when we had current managers in place. You could never keep anything secret when we're trying to fire a manager or a coach. Everybody knows something because you have to talk to the person you're hiring and word gets out. There are no secrets. So I'm not upset with the way the Hurricanes have done this at all. What's interesting is that they're offering him eight plus million dollars. He's making half that at Oregon, but he's negotiating an extension with Oregon right now where he is. If Oregon moves it up to nine million, he'll probably stay where he is or go back to Miami and say, raise the price. If he's smart, you negotiate and you get the most you can when you can because you're going to get fired anyway and you're going to have to negotiate your severance and your payout package. So you might as well get as much as you can up front. So I'm not upset with Cristobal at all for what he's doing. I'm not upset that the Hurricanes are now going to spend money. But Coca during the pregame show, which is what we do before we start taping every day, he said, you know, it bothers me that the University of Miami Health Department 
which is so profitable, has agreed to give money to the athletic department, which used to have to survive on its own, which is why salaries weren't competitive. If you can say $4 million to Manny Diaz, a football coach for a team that sucks every single year is competitive. But either way, his question was, why is it that the health department has to work at a profit and then once they're profitable, how is it that they then give money to the athletic department? And I said, every single department inside a company has its own P&L. How about CBS? CBS Interactive has one P&L. CBS Sports has another. CBS News has another. E! Entertainment Television has another. Paramount. Paramount Plus. They're all different departments within one large organization. U Health is one department. The Athletic Department is another department. The Economics Department is another department. STEM, that's a department. I'm trying to understand why Coca, and he could not properly articulate other than his general view that healthcare shouldn't be profitable. And I smiled and said, healthcare is one of the single most important businesses and economic drivers, including big pharma, in our society, in the world. And that doesn't mean it goes without checks and balances because when you purposefully lie to pharmacies and to customers that the opioids you're making aren't addictive when they are and they get prescribed like little nerds, candy nerds. What are those things like dots? They get prescribed like dots. People pick the dots off the paper. You get a little bit of paper in your mouth. Who's ever eaten dots, right? And you pick them off and you get a little paper and you just swallow the paper and you just know that you're going to eat paper when you eat dots. As hard as you try to get them off paperless, people were eating them like Tic Tacs, these opioids. But the profit that they have, which is shared in public companies, not shared in private companies other than by the people who are in the private company, that is our world, Matt. We are a capitalist society where companies are incentivized to profit then what you do when you've got a large corporation is, is you have different divisions. And what you're supposed to do, if you are really, really interested in doing the right thing, is you use money from your profitable divisions to fund your unprofitable divisions, which in theory are making a difference in the world. So let's say there's companies who make a huge profit in healthcare, and they spend that on trying to find a fix for climate change or for rising sea levels in Miami. You need money from your left pocket to pay for things in your right pocket when your right pocket's empty. The tough business decision is when you actually cut off those departments that are not profitable. When you say, Gnug, it's enough. By the way, Hanukkah's over. Eight nights of Hanukkah ended last night. That's why I was speaking a little Yiddish today. It's when you say, I am not taking profit from the left and trying to fix the, something in my right pocket because we're not making progress or it's not a priority anymore or it's taking too much money with no results and no positive PR. What Miami did is realize they were late to the party where all of their competitors were already dancing. 
every school, including the one you love, takes money from different departments and feeds it into other departments, including the athletic department. Every university goes to its boosters looking for money to get rid of coaches. You've heard it on nothing personal. When you need to make a coaching change and pay Manny Diaz $7 million to go away, you go to your boosters and you say, hey, give me $7 million. We'll get rid of Diaz and we'll hire the guy you want. It's how it works everywhere. That's how the brain's been programmed. I have always wondered whether or not coaches go on LinkedIn. I know a lot of people make a lot of money who are on LinkedIn. That's for sure. A lot of people make connections through LinkedIn. These days, it can be hard to find and hire the right candidates for your small business. Now, Miami's no small business, but let's pretend it is. That's why LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. Please explore your personal hiring... (laughs) You put that in the read, Coca. Cut. Coke, I got to explore personal hiring stories and experiences that are positive that can relate back to LinkedIn jobs. All right, cut it and I'll do that instead of reading it. You put it in here like part of the read. Okay, 6, 8, 69. I've always wondered whether or not coaches, college coaches, damn it, 3, 4, 9. I've always wondered why college coaches, not why. This is unbelievable. Cut, 14, 2869. I've always wondered whether college coaches are on LinkedIn. I always figure they should be because you never know when there's going to be an opening. These days, it can be really hard to find and hire the right candidates for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs made it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. All it takes is a private plane to fly to where your candidate is interview the candidate, and get back while taking the tail number out of all flight tracking systems so no one knows where you are. So you can fly around the world and land the plane and meet under the cover of darkness. I've had to hire a lot of people in my years. Everywhere I've been, I've done hiring. And LinkedIn is a tool that was used tremendously by the Miami Marlins. We would always look for different levels, different positions. We'd search on LinkedIn to see people's profile. And I'll tell you, when you post on LinkedIn jobs, you are getting access to an unbelievable catalog of people. Unbelievable. Because everyone, whether they're making $8 million a year or $8 an hour, they're smart enough to put a profile on LinkedIn. So you can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn jobs, and that will reach your network and even beyond There's like 770 million people. If you can't find someone in 770 million people, then my guess is your job description stinks. Focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience. Use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified. Then use the simple tools on LinkedIn jobs to quickly filter and prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. Do you know LinkedIn's number one? LinkedIn jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. I don't know if you knew this, but every single week, 40 million job seekers are on LinkedIn. 40 million. So post your job right now. LinkedIn.com slash Samson. That's LinkedIn.com slash Samson to post your job for free. 
Terms and conditions do apply. All right, let's go to MLB lockout update. And that's your MLB lockout update for Monday, December 6th, 2021. When we come back, we're going to review a movie that I saw, Gucci, The House of Gucci. And we're going to talk about something that interests me, which is Big Ben and the Pittsburgh Steelers beating Coca's Ravens. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. Thank you for rating, reviewing, and following for making it through the gauntlet of ads that CBS drops in to know that's not shared at all by me or Coca. Thank you for telling your friends about Nothing Personal and keep listening and watching on the YouTube channel. Go to a movie every day, watch a movie every day, watch a show every day. Went to a theater, wore a mask, went to a theater and watched House of Gucci yesterday. House of Gucci is Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott, as in the director of Gladiator, and I'm going to watch another Ridley Scott movie today, and I'm going to review it tomorrow. So he has back-to-back movies starring Adam Driver. I'm going to review House of Gucci today, and I'm going to watch The Last Duel today to review it tomorrow. House of Gucci is about the Gucci family. Al Pacino, Selma Hayek, whose husband current husband, actually owns the Gucci brand, Jared Leto in the performance of the movie, and then Lady Gaga. How about the sex scene between Lady Gaga and Adam Driver? Holy shnikes. She's a, it's a typical Yoko Ono story, right? She marries into the family, and then she wants to take over the family. Spoiler alert, she kills him. It's not a spoiler alert because if you don't know the story of the Gucci family, how could you not know the story of the Gucci family? It's insane. Bunch of loons. I found the movie to be uneven. Two hours and 40 minute runtime. It went a little long for me even though I stayed still in the theater and I wasn't lying down like in a home theater or on a couch. I was in a chair, not even a reclining chair. I had to switch positions a few times. I was a little hungry, so I ate popcorn. Did not put anything on the floor because the theater was clean. Clean places tend to stay clean. Lady Gaga was really good, folks. But she said something that bothered me. She said that working with Ridley Scott was the greatest experience she's ever had with a director. Remember when she worked with Bradley Cooper as a director and said that was the greatest experience she ever had? I guess not. I guess all that shallow stuff during the Oscars, they were just acting, folks. But then she gave a quote saying, you know, some directors really care about the artists and some directors are just out for themselves. Huh. I wonder whether she was talking about Bradley Cooper. She sounds a little scorned to me. Maybe Ridley Scott, when I meet him and he does a sit down, which Coca, can you get him to do a sit down with us so we can talk about Gladiator and everybody else and everything else? I'd like to know... Why, when you have a movie taking place in Italy with people who clearly speak Italian, you have them speak English with an Italian accent? Bastilioni. Fettuccine Alfredo. That's how they all talk the entire movie. With syllables where they every other syllable. I guess that's Italian in English. Either speak English or speak Italian and have subtitles. 
It's like movies that take place in France and they have them speak English, but in a French accent. Why not have them speak English in an English accent? I couldn't get through Al Pacino and Adam Driver and Lady Gaga all speaking in this crazy accent. I kept getting hungry during the movie, thinking about the penne arbiata. All in all, it's about a six, but it's going to get some Oscar love, so I'd watch it. When you go to London, Coca, are you going to, by the way, he's going, folks. What are you doing a week from today, do you know? He's going to Europe. His first time ever in Europe. Picked a good time with Omicron, but he's going to get tested. He's already vaxxed and boosted, or he's getting boosted this week, maybe. Or he was boosted. When are you getting boosted, Coca? Are you willing to tell tell our listeners? I'll tell them. I don't care. You got, you're getting boosted, as you should. Thank you. Stop. <laughs> Stop talking about me. True, we're going to be talking about you in two episodes. This is episode 498. Episode 500 is Coca. Sorry, Coco, we're going to get to 500 before we get fired. Unless people don't like our reads today and tomorrow, in which case we could get the plug pull before 500. Is that what you're going to have done? Well, when you're in London, you better go see Big Ben. And I don't mean the quarterback for the Steelers, but he was in the news this weekend. Such great transitions today, Coca, for a random Monday. Big Ben was in the news this weekend, not because he beat the Ravens. He was in the news because word leaked out that this is likely his last year in Pittsburgh. And I was fascinated by the timing of the leak. He's in the final year of that contract. Remember, he's 39 years old. He's one of the best quarterbacks of all time, one of the least scrupulous quarterbacks of all time, maybe one of the top seven Steelers of all time, which is saying something because they've got a bunch of Hall of Famers. But he's not good anymore. But the way it was released by a source is that this will be his final season in Pittsburgh. As though leaving the door to him playing again next year for someone else. And people all weekend long were shocked, surprised, interested. Do you remember when he was forced to redo his contract? And he took less money and they allocated the money to get better players around him. And he said that I'm willing to take less money because I want the team to be good and I want to show how much I love Pittsburgh. And I told you what a crock of horse hockey that was because the Steelers were already paying him more than they should have paid him. Because when you've got an aging superstar who's played their whole career on one team, you are put in a position where you are screwed You're screwed because you know at the end there is going to be a final, final overpay. And then you get rewarded by the player maybe not even retiring as a member of your team, but finding a job holding the clipboard or being a quarterback for a team that really stinks and needs some sort of name, thinking that that name, even though he can't perform, is going to sell tickets, which it doesn't, and maybe the presence in the locker room will help win games, which it also doesn't. So the decision by a team to move on from a superstar is a critical decision. And there are certain owners out there who never move on from superstars because they're afraid to. And there are certain owners who are not afraid to. The Rooney family is an example. They were afraid and they've seen the light. 
they look at this season of the Steelers. Now they did get a big win yesterday. That's very nice. And they say, you know, we're not very good. At the end of the day, we haven't really won as much under Ben as we could have, as we should have, as we would have liked to. We've got to get to tomorrow. So all they do is leak that it's his last season, give him an opportunity to have a nice goodbye. The fans get a good ovation at the final home game. You don't leak it after the last home game. You leak it sort of middle to end of the season. We just finished week 13. It's a 17-week season, four weeks left, and that's it. 14, 15, 16, 17. And you get to go to bed as a team president thinking, we, I did the right thing. I'm giving him the send-off that he so richly deserves. <laughs> Pittsburgh knew they were doing this a year ago. This was all completely planned. Every bit of it. All right. Good luck, Big Ben. Do you think Big Ben will sign somewhere, Coca? Like as a backup? to Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, maybe? That would be something to go to their biggest rival. All right, nothing personal pick of the day. We're 163 and 147 on Friday. We had the Warriors minus seven to end the Suns winning streak. And guess what? They did. We had Michigan not beating Iowa by 11, and we were right. They beat him by 39. Congratulations to Jim Harbaugh. He beat two, five, two top 15 ranked teams. He is the number two seed playing for the national championship, playing in the semifinal game first, but he made the CFP. Is it CFB or CFP, Coca? College football playoff. I'm going to say CFP. I believe they are the first preseason unranked team to make it to the final four. You got Alabama, Georgia, and WKRP in Cincinnati. Are you excited for an Alabama-Georgia final? A rematch of the SEC championship? I can tell you who would be excited about that. Yeah, yes, ESPN. Niners minus three over Seattle. How did Seattle beat the Niners? They beat them 30 to 23. So we went one and two, or 163 and 147. I want to give you my pick for today, and it's a game that is fascinating me. I have been following the Buffalo Bills and the Buffalo Buffs and the New England Patriots the entire Tom Brady and Bill Belichick divorce. Who's better? Who's worse? Brady goes and wins the Super Bowl with Tampa. It was always Brady. It was never Belichick. Well, now the Patriots are the number one seed in the AFC again, by the way. So is it Belichick, not Brady? Could it be that Belichick will face Brady in the Super Bowl? The Buffalo Bills have been incredibly inconsistent this season. They won 13 games last year. Their offense has been on again, off again. Meanwhile, the Patriots' defense, they have not given up a point. How about this stat? They have not given up a point in the second half of the last three games. Not even a point. So when you... Watch CBS Sports HQ and you learn about gambling and fantasy. You know something called the money line, which is when you can just choose a team to win and not cover. The Bills are favored by the Patriots over the Patriots by three points. 
That's the, you pay the normal 10% VIG. If you bet $50, you have to pay $55. And then you've got the Bills minus three. But if you want the Bills just to win the game, you have to offer your bookie a little bit more. Like it could be $65 to win 50. Let's do the Bills to win the game. Now the Patriots are hot. This is an unlikely scenario, you'd say. My instinct tells me that if the Pats win, they pad their lead as the number one seed, and Belichick wants this. My instincts tell me that defense wins, and Bill Belichick will find a way to shut down the Buffalo Bills offense. But my instincts have only been 163 and 147 this year. We're coming to a close. Someone said, did we not do a pick, Coca, two shows last week because I wanted to make sure we finished above 500. Well, today's December 6th, and we're 16 games over. I think we've already clinched finishing above 500. That said, I'm taking the Bills because it's not my instinct to take the Bills. So I'm taking the Bills. Bills minus three. Forget the money line. Just take it. All right, who's got Omicron? Anybody? It's a thing now. It's the new variant. Why can't everyone just get vaccinated? So LeBron James was put into protocol. I don't know if you were aware of that. And now he's back playing. The Lakers are mediocre. His whole idea of LeBron and friends is not working on the court. They need some time for chemistry. The Knicks need time for chemistry. They're the number. The Knicks were the number one seed in the Eastern Conference for like a week. Everyone was all excited. And now the Knicks are mediocre. The Lakers are mediocre. But LeBron James has this platform that he chooses to use when he wants to on certain issues of social justice and systemic racism and inequality. Won't really use it when it comes to other issues that impact his bottom line because it is, for him, obviously all about money, as it should be. But he came out against the testing protocols that caused him to miss games. He actually had a quote that he was confused and frustrated and angry about the protocols. Said he was never sick. LeBron, just a quick point about the COVID protocols that are in the NBA. And lest I remind you, because maybe you don't have anyone, your agent or anyone listening to the show, but you should. Every protocol that's in place was put in place with your agreement. Every protocol was put in place for the sole reason of making sure the games go on and the revenue is increased because that impacts the salary cap, which impacts your deal and the deal of your future son, NBA player, and all of the friends you have playing with you. You knew that when you had a test positive that you had to be away from the team until two negative tests PCR over a 24-hour period. You knew that by being vaccinated, which you told us you were vaccinated, that you got vaccinated. So in the instance of a positive test that was real, you wouldn't go to the hospital, you wouldn't die, you wouldn't have symptoms most likely. You also knew that there could be tests that are positive falsely, and then you just get two negative tests. But he said there was no follow-up test after the positive test. It was straight to isolation as part of the protocol. And that's what made him angry. That isolation meant he couldn't be near his kids, couldn't be near his wife, although I think he just said kids, but we can examine that later. 
He may have said family. And he couldn't be near them because he was in isolation. They were in isolation. Everyone was in isolation. I have a, just a quick question for you, LeBron. You want to be angry about the fact that you got a positive test and were put into isolation until such time as you could take negative tests. Yet you don't want to be angry about other issues that go on that are way, way more important and that impact quality of life for people, that impact other people's freedom, that impact other people's fairness, ability to live. It just makes me smile. And I'm not here to MF LeBron James. He's got a big responsibility, bigger than most. He's focused on his production company. He's focused on his off-field interests. The reason he's a Laker is because of all his off-court activities, his desire to be in Hollywood. And I am in. For the last time, all I ask for out of LeBron James is to just be careful with your words but to use the platform the way you do, which I respect because all I want you to do is use your platform the way we all use our platforms. Remember, if you have one follower or 20 million followers, use your platform. But don't confuse your constituents by the way in which you use it. Show consistency. Show strength. LeBron... He looks up and he says, you know what? I hear you, David, but I listened to the last line of your show and that's way more important than anything else you say before. The reason I say certain things about certain issues and not about others is so easy, David. It's just business. This is nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.